Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thank you, Dr. Gottlieb, um, for your testimony. I want to talk about opioids, which you addressed in your opening comment. Two million Americans today have a substance abuse disorder with prescription pain relievers, and in the most recent year, more than 20,000 died of overdose doses on prescription drugs, prescription opioids. Another 600,000 Americans have a substance abuse disorder because of addiction to heroin, and four-fifths of new heroin users began by using prescription opioids. An additional 12,000 Americans died last year from heroin overdoses. Um, in 2012, the, the, the last year for which we have very good statistics, 259 million opioid prescriptions were written in this country, prescriptions with multiple um, doses of prescription opioids. There are many at fault for this scourge. There was bogus research that was published and perpetrated suggesting that these drugs did not have addictive qualities, which they do. There was unscrupulous advertising, a drug developed to try to provide um, pain relief in, in emergency situations. There was a realization that that was not a big enough patient base, and so there was a decision to market it more broadly to people suffering from chronic pain conditions. There are dishonest providers who have been caught, uh, pill mills, and it might be doctors, it might be allied health professionals or pharmacies who are being caught. There's been inadequate training about pain management, often in medical schools and other places, so without any malice, the absence of appropriate training about how to manage pain has contributed to this. But the FDA has played a role in this. The FDA approved Zohydro, uh, despite the fact that the advisory committee at the FDA recommended that that not be the case. The FDA approved use of OxyContin by adolescents, despite the fact that the advisory committee expressed grave reservations about that. You and I chatted a little bit about this yesterday. I'd like to hear you talk about in your leadership of the FDA, should you be confirmed, what would be your strategy for taking on this challenge that the FDA has been somewhat complicit in, even if unwittingly in the past? Thank you for the question, Senator. I enjoyed our discussion yesterday. Um, I think this is a staggering human tragedy that's, as I said at the outset, it's going to require dramatic action on the part of the agency. I think it's going to be an all-the-above approach. There's a number of things we can do. Um, I feel I have a bipartisan mandate through my discussions with this committee uh, to try to push the agency to look harder at what the right framework should be. And so to give you some examples, FDA does take on as part of its review process the mandate for looking at the potential for abuse and diversion as a component of the approval process. I think we need to ask hard questions whether or not the agency has the adequate um, authorities resources and policy framework for doing that to make sure it's being done appropriately. Um, I think we need to look at uh, opioid drugs in the context of medical devices that could provide alternatives. The um, safety and benefit of a systemic opioid drug might look a lot different when it's juxtaposed against a device alternative that's delivering localized therapy. I think that we might need to look at a different framework. Congress has given the FDA some authority to look at drugs and, and, and devices in conjunction. We've done that with the oncology division. Um, I think we have to look harder about how to create generic standards for the drugs that have abuse deterrence so we feel more confident clearing the market of the older drugs that don't have abuse deterrent features. Um, so we need, we need good guidelines for how we're going to genericize those drugs so we're not just forcing people onto high cost drugs 
when we take the older generic drugs off the market. I think we need to do all these things, and we need to look at alternatives to opioids. And, and, and do we have the right framework in place and the guidance in place to accelerate the development of non-opioid alternatives to the treatment of pain? I think we're going to need to push hard on all these things. Senator Bennett. I wanted to go back to the opioid and heroin epidemic that's happening in this country. I have, like my colleagues um, on this panel, spent a lot of time having town hall meetings throughout my state, and I've noticed over time that as families are ripped apart and communities are having profound difficulties coping with this problem, which by the way, we don't have an answer for right now in terms of addiction treatment, especially in rural areas this country, but I'm going to park that observation and ask you the question, how did we get here in your view? And, and not just about, not just from the FDA point of view, because we did, we, the problem of very addictive uh, opioid prescription drugs being approved without a sense of how addictive they were, I think, if you look at the history, then cheap heroin coming in behind those drugs that uh, has perpetuated the addictions that we face. And I wonder if you could give us a perspective, not just as uh, the, the potential commissioner of the FDA, but also as a physician, in thinking about the way these drugs have been prescribed and used uh, to manage pain. What do we need to learn from this experience um, so that we don't, not just don't make the same mistakes, but we can dig ourselves out of this horrible ep epidemic across our country? Thank you for the question, Senator. I, I, I've stated here a number of times, I think this is a public health emergency on the order of Ebola and Zika. I think we need to treat it that way. I think we need to treat this as a public health crisis that's going to require dramatic action. I think for a long period of time, we didn't fully recognize the scope of this evolving problem, and our actions to try to address it might have been too incremental in nature. And I don't say this to try to pass judgment on people who preceded me at FDA. I was at FDA for part of that time as well. Um, I don't think we fully recognize the scope of the emerging problem, the, the, the true addictive nature of these products. I think clinical medicine and physicians and other physicians prescribe these drugs um, are partly responsible for that. I think to your point, this is now a problem that's big enough that whereas one time it might have been within the scope of FDA to address this problem in a, in a, more, in a more robust way, I don't want to say solve the problem, but address it in a more fulsome way, it's now grown so large that it's grown outside of FDA's ability to address it by itself. If this is a public health challenge that's going to be needed, we're going to need to address through the full gamut of our public health resources. That does not mean that FDA doesn't have an important role to play, but I will say from the standpoint of FDA, I think in order to address it now, the types of actions we're going to need to take are going to be far more dramatic, perhaps, than the types of actions we would have needed to take if we had done more 10 years ago to get ahead of this. And again, to your point, we now have the problem that people move to the lowest cost alternatives, and so it's no longer just opioids. Having become addicted on opioids, people are moving to heroin. Good thing. That's what I want to say. And, and talking about all of the above, if you're talking about all of the above, that's really important to people. And if you're talking about a crisis that is at the scope of Ebola, and you don't keep uh, residential treatment as part of the essential benefits package of, ins of insurance, I don't think you're taking it as seriously as you would an Ebola-level crisis. So I want to talk about something more maybe in your purview 
which is naloxone, which you haven't mentioned either. And if you're taking an all of the above uh, approach, I think you would, and no, I think you would take uh, approach talk about naloxone. Now I spent a minute on beer, Mr. Chairman, so I want 30 seconds. Uh, a two-pack dose of the auto injector for uh, naloxone rose from $690 in 2014 to 4,500 today. This goes to the price of drugs, which everyone in Minnesota talks about when I go around the state. Um, you didn't mention naloxone. This saves a tremendous number of life, lives. It's, it's part of the all of the above, believe me. 